This is a story of loss and the life thereafter. This is my story. Losing my mother when I was seven changed everything. For me, my brother, my sister, it changed all of us in development, emotionally, and in many other ways that you might expect. It affected us financially. But what was not expected, what was weird and awful to me, was what happened to me physically, or maybe what didn't happen. From about age seven to about age 17, I essentially did not grow. I did, of course, older and eventually normalized and grew. I became an attorney, a federal prosecutor, and handled some cases that you've heard of. Those cases were famous or infamous, depending on who you talk with. And maybe for me, I'm the same, famous or infamous, depending on who you talk with. I believe that bad things, big bad things in our life, remain as a shadow which follows us. Only when we stop and look back at that shadow and deal with it can we move on. After all, it's just a shadow. I look forward to having you with me in this series. So far, mostly, I've tried to relate my story, the effect of events on my life, on me, And so I don't think I have a right to tell my brother's story in full. Truth is, I don't really know his story in full. But it's my belief that his story is far worse than mine. Um, So I think think I'm going to tell briefly here today what I observed about my brother's story. Why was it, in my opinion, so much worse for my brother? Well, you may remember I've told that my mother really understood my brother. As someone said, she really had his number. She got him. And she really was his buddy and he was older than I was by about three years so he would have not only had more time with our mother to have come to love and adore her but he also knew more he was more aware than I was so then the news so when they woke us up that morning tell us that she was gone Um, I think he felt ripped off almost immediately felt betrayed and it showed itself more every year really within a couple years of of our mom dying, my brother quit cutting his hair, I guess after the point where my dad, you know, would direct him to, and he at some point just wouldn't. That was probably for him about junior high, and a lot of kids had longer hair back then. It wasn't a big deal at first, but he just really never cut it anymore. Um, he, uh, He got into quite a bit of mischief, some which we might call vandalism today. 
I don't think he was really mean about it. He was just, um, I think my brother wanted to fly like a kamikaze right into the deck of anything conventional. I think he resented, um, he resented the conventional and the normal, and maybe he was angry at it. I don't know. Um, some of the things he and his friends, and he developed a little group of friends, similarly, um, sort of long-haired, uh, funny, I mean, comical, uh, mischievous a group. <clears throat> some of the stuff they would do was almost like a graffiti type thing, not exactly, but that was sort of, maybe marking in wet cement things. Um, they would do things that were hilarious in some respects and just so crazy. In the winter, ever so often, every year or two, you know, we'd have a snow in Dallas enough to make a snowman every few years, really. And one year, they just he and his group of knuckleheads decided to drive around and everywhere a kid had, you know, some little kid had worked on building a snowman, they would drive this old car around and the doors would fly open when they'd see a snowman and they'd go tackle it. Now what kind of bunch of idiots does that? But that's what they would do. They would tackle it and run off, hoop and holler, run back and get in the car and drive off. I'm sure all these kids at windows, you know, boohooing over their snowman. They, that ended that day when some kid had built a snowman around a fire hydrant and my brother went flying out of the car and toward the snowman and tried to tackle it, and it was a fire hydrant. So that was the only way they stopped that deal that day. My brother's favorite targets um, were school officials, uh, principal, vice principal in junior high. Now keep in mind, back in those days... And I guess it still exists in some places, but in a very, in a really good school district back then, the school principals would paddle boys for misbehavior. If it was, you know, not every little thing, but if something was serious enough, they would take a wooden board and they would paddle them. You could hear it up and down the halls. And as a little scrawny runt that I was, it was terrifying uh, to think of that. And I, was never the subject of it, uh, thank goodness. But <clears throat> my brother was a lot. And I know that after that happened quite a bit for a couple of years, my dad called down there from the DA's office in Dallas down to the principal and told him who he was. Hey, I'm you know Tom's dad. Um, I want to talk to you about all this, and they said, yes, you know, we're trying to discipline him. And my father said, it's not working. Whatever you're doing is just making him more angry. And so the next one you paddle, my dad said, will be me. So if you need to paddle someone, you call me and you take care of me because you're not paddling anymore. It's not working. It's making it worse. And 
you know, another time, uh, just thought of this, another time my brother, when he started driving, would get stopped by the police in that area. Not all of them, but he was a wild, long-haired-looking outfit. And there was a particular policeman that stopped him on a couple of occasions and uh, just to harass him because he looked like a wild hippie, and I guess they wanted to find something on him or something. And my dad, knowing where the police officers went to have coffee and probably donuts, uh, kind of in our neighborhood, he went down there after learning who the officer was. And my dad knew the police department well because he was a prosecutor. And it's my understanding he sidled up on a stool next to the officer and said, uh, if my son does something wrong and you need to stop him, you go ahead and do that. Otherwise, leave him alone. If you're just picking on him, leave him alone. And that may have helped, I don't know. Another thing my goofy brother did, he and his friends, they spoke a weird language that, I don't know if they came up with it, but they certainly modified it. And so they called it ob. So they would put... An O and B, so the letters O and B, before every, as they called it, every speaking vowel. So they would make it, so if I was going to say cat, it would be kabat. Our dog would be dabog. So in other words, you take the consonant, you put O-B in front of it, and then you have your your speaking vowel afterwards. I have to write it down even to tell you this. My brother and his crazy friends spoke this and spoke it so fast. Everything they in front of adults, and I think at school, they would speak in this like coded language, which was hilarious. And they spoke it so quickly, nobody could translate it fast enough. They had no clue what they were talking about. I didn't. They would say all kinds of things to me, I'm sure, pretty insulting, and I didn't know what they were talking about. But they spoke what they called ob. Anyhow, um. He had found some cohorts in these friends, but he also found some outlets that were more positive. My grandfather, you know, my grandmother and grandfather had come to live with us. My grandfather was an old cowboy. He'd, one of his first jobs when he was really young, long, long time ago, was he was uh, he worked on ranches in Texas and really knew horses really well. And, you know, my grandfather, bless his heart, he found a horse for my brother. And we had never had horses. We lived in the suburbs. But there were some stables and some land, open land, not too far from us. And my grandfather helped my brother, in some fashion, get a horse. And my brother had this paint horse. He named it Scratchy. And my brother loved that horse. But more significantly, the horse loved my brother. And my brother, it turned out, was a natural rider. He could do anything. He totally understood horses and how to ride and how to direct them. And he's off and on for years. He has had horses. Many years ago, I went to see him in uh, New Mexico up in the mountains, and he had a an Appaloosa stud horse that most people wouldn't want to get near. It was big, and it was about half crazy. And my brother would hop on that thing bareback and go wherever he wanted to go. 
he had no fear of it, not fear. Why, why, why would I say that? He, he got that horse, the wildness, the, the character of that horse fit him. And anyway, he, was, he became a really good horseback rider, a good horseman, and has always been. So I also told you that in school, he dropped out when he was 17, but when he was in school, the one class he excelled at was poetry. And he got an A in poetry, and I'll never forget my dad being proud of him for that. As he got older, he talked about Mother Earth. He said, our mother was gone, but the earth was his, was his mother. He went away, as I said, when he was 17. He started. He left home, and... He went to Austin, Texas, and then he hitchhiked around all the way in the American West, all up the Rocky Mountains, all the way to British Columbia, and found his way here and there. And he lived with some Native Americans off and on, and he eventually learned to speak what we call Navajo language. He... um. He was gone at one in one stretch. He was gone for five years that we didn't hear from him. We didn't know if he was alive. We didn't hear, my dad and I, we didn't hear from him for over five years and then finally heard from him. He, I think, was maybe on his own energy jettisoned out of perhaps the life that he would have had had our mother not died. Who knows? Nobody knows. But I would say, looking back on it, within 24 hours of our mother dying, and I told you some things that happened right afterwards with him, but within a day of that, you could have almost predicted this road for him. running from the pain of it, the disappointment, the anger, being driven on by some intangible force. Now, he would probably say, if we ask him today, it wasn't that bad. He had a, he's had a good life. He's had a fascinating life. That someone had it worse than he did. But I think when he lost, when we lost our mom, he was set adrift. And he found his own lonely and fascinating and desperate way.